This is a Soulfire production. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Politically Homeless. I'm here with you today with um, less tech issues. The tech issues have continued, have, have perpetuated, and now uh, I think I've, I solved the problem. I really think I did, and it, it, it's only been a month, a month in the making to solve this fucking problem, but I think we got the video audio situation sorted out oh, because of one good Google search. So Jeff Bezos went to space. Jeff Bezos went to space. It happened. I mean, it's kind of, he played just the tip with space. He paid Jeff Bezos. First off, he comes out to this whole situation. This is something I didn't really want to talk about on the show because I could not give any less fucks about Jeff Bezos going to space in his dick rocket. Okay. But like we have this situation here where it's like, he comes out in a cowboy hat for what fucking reason? Like has Jeff Bezos ever been wearing a cowboy hat? Is he like the George W. Bush of our generation? Is that where we're at? With Jeff Bezos. And also, he comes out, and I realize, and we talked about this on the premium show the other day, about overdoing Botox. The dude has so much Botox, it's uncomfortable to look at his face. Like, why? Like, you're Jeff Bezos. You're expected to be goofy looking, okay? No one expects Bill Gates to be like an attractive guy. Elon Musk is about the best you're going to get when it comes to like attractiveness and genius billionaires. Okay. So you have this guy come out in a cowboy hat looking like a complete fucking clown. Okay. Also then makes it ask himself by thanking Amazon customers and Amazon workers for paying for his trip to space, his, his, his joyride to the tip of space. And the funny thing is with this whole, like Jeff Bezos is now an astronaut. He did the, the minimum, the minimum qualifications is what he surpassed. He went 50 miles up. There's different areas of the world where like they, they consider space a different thing, but he just like went up to the edge and came back down to me. I'm like, who fucking cares? NASA did that shit in 1961. Okay. Like that was a thing that has been done. We did it already. Like it's not innovative. It's not exciting. You're just riding the coattails of Elon Musk who actually has done some great things, who has actually innovated, who has rockets that can land reliably. That's what they're doing. And you're just, this is a vanity project for you. It's a vanity project for you. You could do so many other things, but you're going to wear a a dingy cowboy hat for no goddamn reason because you're in Texas, I guess, which is honestly cultural appropriation that I find very upsetting being from Texas. Don't appropriate my culture like that. You fucking douche. And then it just completely makes the clown of himself. This dude is so out of touch with the reality. Like his quotes when it comes to his workers, I'm like, I don't understand how how you get this out of touch with what is real and what is normal life for most people. So uh, this is a this is a fucking joke. No one. And then the the thing about it was you have Jeff Bezos who goes to space, right? Kind of. Who just like if you think if you think that just the tip is sex which I know many Christians do. If you think that playing just the tip is sex, then yes, Jeff Bezos went to space. If you don't, then you don't. That's that's where we're at with this situation. Okay. Now he made an ass of himself, which is really interesting, but 
I don't understand why CNN and these other these other like media outlets were just stroking this dude off for like what he Richard Branson did it two weeks ago, right? Or just the other day. Like Richard, it's like this has been done. We do this is like not who fucking cares, and why why is this why is this something to be sycophantic about? I don't I just don't understand. I don't understand, but that's my thoughts. Those are my thoughts on Jeff Bezos. I figured people would ask, so wanted to put them out there. I also want to thank Amanda and Dave for joining the Patreon community. You are cherished and loved, and we welcome you with open arms. Now, if you want to support the show, you can join the Patreon. It's the best way to do it. It's the best way to do it. Patreon.com slash Politically Homeless. There are two tiers. Give what you can. Do what you can. Support independent content. Uh, And maybe one day we'll go fully ad-free. Maybe one day we'll go fully ad-free. Not today and not tomorrow. But if you're in the Patreon, you do get every episode that I do on anything, including the new interview show that is dropping soon. I'm so excited for that. All those episodes will be ad-free in the Patreon. And I'm going to be having a conversation with lots of conservatives. And I have a larger conservative audience, which I appreciate and respect, and, and I'm really glad that all of you are out there doing the thing. I really love the makeup, the demographics of the audience of this show and anything that I do. So uh, I'm excited to have some discussions with conservative thought leaders, I guess they could, we could call them, conservative loud vocal people with audiences, <laughs> but I'm excited for that. So you get all that stuff ad free. You get to chime in on the conversation. I'll be dropping in when we, when we have a guest going on, uh, any questions that you guys want to ask them, that'll all be from the Patreon for the Patreon. So check that out. Make sure to jump in there and join up, support the show, do the best you can be a part of something, be a part of something larger than yourself. Patreon.com slash politically homeless and all those links are in the show notes as well for anything that we're doing. Whether you want merch, Patreon stuff, you know, just the things. Make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube. Leave a review. You know, all that fucking bullshit. Anyways, let's do this. We finally got it working. We're finally doing the thing. Let's get into the state of things right now. All right, progressives are doing a little something, something that's worthwhile here. This is great. It's been nice to see the progressives kind of maybe um, get a little tuckered out of just being hyperbolic and obnoxious and talking about defunding the police and shit and actually do something that fucking matters. Like, finally, thank you. You know, it's like with all the things that you've done lately, like allowed um, two billion dollars to be given to the Capitol Police so that they can become a new intelligence agency as if that's what we mean need in this in our world right now is a new intelligence agency. No, you can just go ahead and do that. But then you'll finally do something that's worthwhile. Finally do something that's worthwhile. So we got this infrastructure drug deal. Now, the infrastructure thing has been really contested. You have a lot of conservatives upset at what is being defined as infrastructure. I'm kind of on board with it. I think childcare is something that should be should be taken care of. Um, I think that really helps our workforce. I think that pushes us forward. I think it helps people create higher wages. Um, of course, unions could make those kind of deals, but those get squashed all the time, thanks to propaganda, especially in the private sector. So let's dive into exactly what's going on here and how this is one of the most obvious solutions that presidents have talked about, including Trump. Including Trump wanted to do this. But... 
He didn't because he's a coward. Anyways, all right. So Senate Democrats have a new pay for to finance the soft infrastructure bill, renegotiating Medicare prescription prices to save $600 billion. Setting up a battle between progressives and well-capitalized drug companies. By targeting pharma, Democrats are opening up a funding stream President Biden didn't initially include in his $4 trillion Build Back Better agenda. It relied heavily on hiking taxes to on corporations and Americans own earning over $400,000 a year. Democrats also pick a fight with an industry prepared to spend millions to fend off attempts to alter its lucrative reimbursement rates. Using drug price savings to finance an already complex legislative package adds another powerful player to the game with no margin for error, complicating final passage of the legislation. And we've got a few quotes here that I think are great. Senator Elizabeth Warren says, It's time the pharmaceutical industry realizes that the federal budget is not a cash cow to be milked. Fucking A. Elizabeth Warren saying something that makes sense. Love hearing that. Senator Bernie Sanders says that the $600 billion figure suggested may be slightly higher. Um, And then Joe Manchin says, I am definitely in favor of saving money from pharmaceutical drug prices. I think Medicare should be competitive. It's bullshit that Medicaid is and Medicare is not. That doesn't make any sense at all. Oh, my God. We got... Elizabeth Warren making sense. We got Bernie Sanders making sense. We got Joe Manchin making sense on the same fucking topic. What world are we living in right now? How has this not been done already? If you could save $600 billion, $600 billion by having Medicare negotiate drug prices as they should be able to do, right? That makes the most fucking sense in the world. And it's been talked about for a decade. And we have, have, that's a decade that I remember, right? As that I remember. I think my grandfather was talking about this before I even knew what Medicare was back when I was young. And we're just now doing it. And the only reason it's getting done is because they need it for their infrastructure. They couldn't use it to decrease taxes, right? Because the corruption that runs between the pharmaceutical industry and the federal government runs so deep. It runs so deep that it takes something like this to have to strong arm this situation that should have been done way before. Way before. Now, Bernie Sanders talked about this, right? In, the, in his Medicare for All figures, he talks about how he, he, he rejigs those to where Medicare is able to negotiate drug prices. So when you have the conservative argument against someone like Bernie Sanders or any kind of opposition to Bernie Sanders, they were using inflated, rigged, corrupt prices, which completely skews everything. When you create a situation where they can negotiate in the same way that insurance companies negotiate, well, that changes the game entirely. So I'm really grateful to be seeing this thing like getting some legs because this is, this is one of those just common sense solutions, right? We can all bicker and, 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 and talk shit about all kinds of different things, especially social issues. But this is a thing that affects you no matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. This will bring drug prices down for everyone, for everyone. There's no reason that insulin that costs 10 cents or 20 cents to make should be going for three figures. Ever. And there's no reason that somebody who needs medication should have to ration it because of drug prices. And if you want to sit here and make the innovation argument, you can suck a bag of dicks, honestly. We're already paying for that. That stuff happens in the university system more often than not. And those people aren't incentivized in the same way. What is incentivized in our healthcare system is lack of wellness, illness is incentivized. Cancer is more profitable, not cured. And if you think that these people are working in some kind of altruistic manner to actually cure diseases, you're naive. 
These people will literally, in the same way that the, that the oil and gas industry will block electric cars from being created, right? Block more fuel efficiency, block the uh, any mandates to decrease single-use plastic because all of those things are profit drivers, right? Those are all things that the oil and gas industry can and has done. The pharmaceutical and healthcare industry will block things that will hurt their bottom line. They have, they will, and they will continue to do it. The incentives within the healthcare industry do not make sense. And we need to choose what the incentives are for our policymakers and for the companies that are in charge of our quote unquote health. So we're in a really interesting situation here. And I think this is a, a strong flex. This is a strong flex that I think will could potentially change the, the framework that we view healthcare through in the future. And I'm very excited about it. I think this is absolutely great. And you'll see those squirmy, corrupt fucking assholes at Pfizer and everywhere else spending the shit out of money on lobbyists and advertising campaigns and propaganda to try and change this because not, not because they want you to be healthier, not because of innovation, which is a fucking propagandized term at this point. None, none of that for their bottom line. That's it. We pay for the R and D we deserve life-saving medicines at affordable prices. We did, we're the richest country in the world, but we rank 11 out of the top 11 countries in quality of health. And we spend more per person. It's absurd. Fucking absurd. We got to do better. And this is a step in the right direction. Now, if you want to be hyper-partisan and be all pissed about it, we can just say, hey, well, Trump said the same thing. Trump wanted to do the same thing. And that should shut people the fuck up. But we'll see what kind of weird arguments Ben Shapiro comes up with against this situation for no other reason than it has a D beside it instead of an R. That's the world we live in. It's not about health. It's not about the betterment of society. It's about partisanship. So let's be honest with ourselves and understand that this is a really, really, really positive step. Every now and then something happens in the world, especially in the mainstream media world, that just warms my cold, dead heart. And this is one of those moments. Let's check it out. Brian Stelter, who is my least favorite of all people on TV, of all the people on TV, Literally, like mainstream media or otherwise, right? Like Brian Stelter is the worst. The fact that his show is called Reliable Sources is comical. He is the, I, he, he is, he is, oh, I just can't even, it's hard to even make words that can align with the amount of disdain that I have for Brian Stelter. And let's watch him get owned on his own show. You know, and, and that's what Trump does. He's, he has spent most of his administration seeing people on television and right. immediately calling them. But maybe um, that's how but, it works sometimes, I, I don't huh? want you to think... Is that how it works? That's how you get access? I, but I, yeah, but I don't... Yeah, but I don't want you to think that 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 what I said at that point was in any way inauthentic. I think the no. media has done a terrible job on this. I think you yourself... Um, you know, why you're a nice guy, you know, you're full of sanctimony. Um, you know, you become part of one of the parts of the problem of the media. You know, you come on here and you and you have a, um, um, uh, you know, a monopoly on truth. You know, you know exactly how things are supposed to be done. 
Um, you know, you are why one of the reasons people can't stand the media. Sorry. <laughs> Now, look at if you watch here, Brian Stelter, does, he laughs here, right? But he doesn't know what to do. He has that weird, like, conniving, like, evil face that's just like, and he's making this weird, I don't understand, like, what the fuck is going on there, but he doesn't know what to do. He's about, he's panicking, right? Because he's getting spoke some serious truth. Now, this guy, uh, Michael Wolf, is, like, not necessarily somebody who's trustworthy, but, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. You know what I mean? So, this Brian Stelter not knowing how to react to being this uncomfortable is is a beautiful beautiful thing. Let's keep it going. <laughs> You're cracking me up. It's your fault. I, it's, uh, it's how, so. What should I do differently, Michael? Uh, you know, d don't talk so much. Listen more. <laughs> you know, people have genuine problems with 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 the media. The media doesn't get the story right. The media exists in its mm. own bubble. Um, That's true. You know, I agree. You, yeah. you, uh, um, you know, you got to stop. I mean, that last segment that 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 I just had to listen to of all of the people saying <laughs> the same old stuff. Also, you're incredibly repetitive. It's week after week. I mean, you're the flip side of of of, of Donald Trump. Um, you know, fake news, <laughs> and you say virtuous news. You know, there there no, there's we just a figure out what is here. real. I mean, yeah, we. I'm how condescending is that? That we just figure out what is real, really CNN. Like you are, you you're a puppet for the fucking intelligence agencies. The intelligence community knows that you'll just lap up whatever they put in front of your fucking face and regurgitate it to your shrinking audiences. Find out what is real, my ass. Well, well, figuring out, yeah, figuring out what is real is not so is not so uh, is not so easy. And and right. you know, most people don't want to talk. Turn to brian stelter to tell us what's real i'm sorry <laughs> well then why'd you bother coming on cnn a few times this week <laughs> you know I, i'm a I'm, I'm a book salesman <laughs> michael i love talking to you wow I'm dude grateful you came on i'm a book uh, salesman and i guess let's do it again in four years thanks wow 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 that is beautiful it's like why did you come on cnn this week well i'm a book salesman i'm a businessman doing business that's what you do but now this guy's going to sell more books because of that viral clip that just absolutely popped off but it's nice to see this and i'm hoping that i mean my hope with anything like this when this kind of stuff happens is that more and more people will feel comfortable loot because it's a, these these the ratings on these shows are shrinking right so you're going to get more traction you're going to get more uh book sales going on a on a on a podcast like uh the realignment right with with sager and uh oh what is this co-host name damn so sorry for forgetting uh marshall marshall and sager right so you're gonna have a way uh, way more book sales going on to a show like that where you know that those guys are only going to bring somebody on that they vetted, that they feel has integrity. And CNN is going to bring on anybody who is a, you know, resistance conservative or, you know, some other bulls like never Trumpers or somebody, some sycophantic fuckhead. So you got this situation where, where this actually doesn't do that much for you anymore. If you're this guy, if you're Michael Wolf, you'd have a, you're not going to get on to a show like the realignment because you've shown that you don't have much integrity at all so there's not really much to talk about aside from your you know um uh, grift but 
with certain people that actually have something to share, there's better outlets for them than CNN. So you can roll the dice with something like this if you're on their show and be like, yeah, I mean, you guys fucked it up, you know? Telling uh, Andrew or Chris Cuomo that he kind of fucked up the situation when it came to his, you know, COVID reemergence or or the way that he treated his brother in the situation and like get him to own up to that, you know, call somebody out on their own network. It's only going to hold him to a higher standard. So I'm hoping that that can kind of start happening. That'd be hilarious because there's less and less that these networks have to offer. And I think that's a really, uh, a really amazing thing. And I hope to see more and more of stuff like this because it's just so fun to watch. Like it's the best thing on their network. And that says a lot about the state of CNN, MSNBC, and even Fox News. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs, the creators of Element. Right now I am in my studio without any air conditioning and I am sweating. I am moist. I am damp. And all I can think about right now as I'm, as I'm winding down the show and recording this ad is how I'm about to go back into my house. I'm going to pull out some watermelon element. I'm going to mix it with some ice water. And I'm going to pour that into my face hole so fast. And I'm going to instantly feel that feeling. You know that feeling when you're really thirsty and you drink water and you can feel it absorbing into your body and it's that cold, glorious feeling of absorption of H2O, the essence that is life, into your fucking body? You know that feeling? Do you want that feeling every day? That feeling is better than a quality orgasm many times. Not all the time. Sometimes you can, you know, sometimes orgasms can be extremely righteous. But... Sometimes I would rather feel that feeling of moisture absorbing into my cellular situation, okay? And that's what Element offers to you. That's what they offer. That's what they provide, and they fucking deliver, baby. It's so good. Magnesium, salt, electrolytes, all these things that you probably don't get enough of, especially when you're putting your body to work. You got to use this body. You gotta ride this meat body all the way through to the end. And you gotta treat it right. And the, the one way that you can treat it right today is by going to drink element, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders and picking up a variety pack of element for five bucks. Just five bucks. Just cover shipping. Now, if you want that's the bare minimum. Okay, if you want to do the bare minimum, that's fine. But I would also get some lemon habanero. So you can make your summertime hydrating margaritas and get yourself some watermelon. For whatever reason, watermelon in the morning, it just sets the day off right. It really does. It's a special experience. Now, they, they have the people that put this thing together over at Elemental Labs, Rob Wolf and his team, have such a good track record of providing incredible health and wellness advice. Like some of the best in the game, really. And when they, when they do something, they, put, they really have my... Faith. And what they've done with, with Element is really, I mean, honestly, no, all jokes aside, like it does really feel like it's soaking into your cells and that feels amazing. But these people are, are the real fucking deal, like the real deal. So if you haven't tried it yet, and no, we've made a lot of sales in this stuff because this shit is great, right? So, I mean, they keep sponsoring the show for a reason. And one, because my ad reads are fantastic. Two, because they actually deliver and they're getting a lot of repeat customers from the first orders that we've had through the Politically Homeless crew. So, if that tells you anything, you should pull the trigger. DrinkElement.com 
slash wanders d-r-i-n-k-l-m-n-t.com slash wanders the link is in the show notes of this show just open those show notes hit the link do your shopping get your goods get that variety pack for five bucks and stay moist do it drinkelement.com slash wanders so here's a story we've been tracking here at Politically Homeless uh, for the last few weeks. And something that I, I got, was put on my radar thanks to the, uh, the Patreon community. We had this kind of brought to my attention and I started kind of keeping up with what was going on. Senator Kennedy was arguing fervently for this. And now we're seeing the Biden administration take action. So let's check this out. The Biden administration now plans to evacuate 2,500 Afghans directly to the U.S. Another 10,000 whose background checks are still pending will go to U.S. military bases overseas or to third countries, said the State, a State Department spokesperson. So essentially to kind of break it down here, what, what happens is when you go to a place like the Middle East, right, you're in Afghanistan, you got to have interpreters. you got to have people who understand the local framework, language, speak English, all those kind of things. And what would happen whenever, the inevitably, the Taliban is going to take back control of the region uh, because the Taliban is stronger now than it was 20 years ago when we went over there. So with this situation, we're looking at this and saying, all right, well, these people are going to be murdered, tortured, and their families are going to be murdered and tortured if we don't do something. And you had a lot of advocates speaking up saying, hey, we need to do something about this. These people were allies of the United States of America. And what this, this, sets, this sets an example that if you work with us in some type of military action, you really mean nothing. You're disposable. You're expendable. And that's going to fucking, one, on top of the fact that it's a humongous humanitarian issue, it shows that we have zero respect for people that will put their neck on the line to work with us. And they're, of course, they're working for themselves as well, right? They're working for their own freedom in some certain capacity. If you believe that, that's fine. It doesn't really matter. In this case, what matters is that these people would have been butchered, right? And using the words of Senator Kennedy, butchered if left alone. Now, you had Rand Paul doing what I call the very cunty argument against how they should stay and stick it and fight and die for freedom. They're going to lose, Right? The Taliban is going to take over this region. This is so, so, so similar to Vietnam, except it lasted a little bit longer, right? It did not, it's not going to do us any good. I got a fucking, fuck, asshole. It's a fucking bee, man. <laughs> As U.S. troops leave the country, the Biden administration has come under growing pressure from lawmakers, veterans group, and refugee rights organizations to take action to protect Afghans who face retaliation from the, from the Taliban, for their work as interpreters or other jobs for U.S. troops as diplomats. About 2,500 Afghans whose visa applications of clear security vetting will be eligible for evacuation directly to the U.S. military base or to a U.S. military base in the U.S., along with their family members, a State Department spokesperson, and two defense officials said. So it's happening here, and I hope that these people, when they are received here, are received with a lot of respect admiration and appreciation because what they did was really risk the lives of them, their lives and their families' lives to support the U.S. And I want to bring attention to this, and I'm going to keep talking about this as it goes on if there's any more breaking news here, but I think they did the right thing here. Bring as many as we can to the U.S., um, third countries, get people out of there safely, respect them for the work that they did for us. Like that's real. At the end of the day, this is, about, this is a respect issue. And I'm really grateful to see the Biden administration do this. Now, what I do want to say, what I want to speak to here, is that we have a massive troop drawdown right now. 
that was incredibly popular with conservatives, with Republicans, when Trump was going to do it. Okay? That dropped about 20% when Biden did it. Let's put that into perspective, right? The support for the troop withdrawal dropped 20% among Republicans because Biden was doing it, not Trump. What does that say about the integrity of those people? What does that say about what they're being told by the media? What does that say about who they follow? It's an interesting situation. And I'm sure on the other side, it went up among Democrats. And you're seeing now the narrative because of what the Biden administration is doing. We have to give credit where credit is due, but the narrative has changed. People are being held to account on mainstream media when it comes to warmongering. And that's huge. John Bolton was getting roasted on MSNBC the other day. That's huge. That's a big step forward. And we have to give credit where credit is due. I said the same thing about Trump when, I, when he was in office, and I did not like him either. I don't like either one of these motherfuckers. It's not about that. But you have to give credit where credit is due because without it, you have zero respect. You have zero integrity. You have to be accountable to yourself and your positions. And if you're only floating around like Shapiro and Steven Crowder and just floating around waiting for something to outrage your audience to speak up, then you're a fucking pussy. And you're a clickbait attention whore. That's all you are. That is all you are. If you're waiting to get uh, just for something to outrage your audience, if you're Ben Shapiro and you're not talking about this, but you're reacting to woke TikToks, then you're a fucking joke. It, it drives me insane. This is the well-being of our troops and people that supported us in the Middle East. This is more important than woke TikToks and reaction videos. Can you take a minute and talk about something that fucking matters? Is that, is that so hard to do? I don't understand it. I don't understand. Give the administration credit where credit is due. In the same way, the same way that I was calling for that from the left when Trump was president. Give the dude credit where credit is due. Criticize him abundantly. There's room for criticism on both sides of the aisle. There's room for criticism in the Biden administration, to be sure, and there was in the Trump administration as well. But when all you're doing is crying for attention as opposed to covering the things that matter, this action will mean less Americans die, less people that support Americans die. People that supported America now get a chance at a new life because of the risks they took. Those people are going to become patriots for this country. Their children will be patriots for this country. That is something for us to be proud of. Of all the things, of all the things that have happened in the Middle East, of every, all the fucked up shit, the civilian deaths, the drone strikes, the things that, that are disgusting, that will go down in history as war crimes, of all the things, we actually have something here right now to be proud of. And your political pundits, the people with the biggest audiences, are reacting to woke TikTok videos. Let's put it in perspective. Let's think about things different and let's give credit where credit is due regardless of party affiliation. Speaking of giving credit where credit is due regardless of party affiliation, Rand Paul just absolutely got into it 
with Fauci. And this is super fun to watch. We're going to play the whole clip and then we'll break it down here at the end. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain-of-function. So what was, let me take, finish. Take an animal virus. Okay, hang on. Before we get into the, this, I, I'm probably going to end up stopping this a bunch of times, but here we go. So he says it was, it was verified by staff up and down the chain to not be gain of function. And everybody in that chain has a benefit to it not being gain of function. There's zero unbiased parties who judged whether or not what was going on in the Wuhan lab was gain of function. You have to get third parties that are unbiased, that are unaffected by what you have going on, by your funding, by your research, by your oversight. Those are the kind of people that need to be judging whether or not this is gain of function. And from the evolutionary biologists that I see and I know, i.e. Brett Weinstein and Heather, those people are going into this and saying that's obviously gain of function and we're going to get into this argument over the the nuance of what gain of function is between Rand Paul which I'm going to obviously side with Rand Paul on because Fauci's a fucking liar. And you increase his transmissibility to humans. Right. You're saying that's not gain of function? Yeah, that is correct. And and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about quite frankly, and I want to say that officially. You do not know what you are talking about. Let's okay, you get NIH. one person. Let's read from the NIH definition of gain of function. This is your definition that you guys wrote. It says that scientific research that increases the transmissibility among mammals is gain of function. They took animal viruses that only occur in animals, and they increased their transmissibility to humans. How you can say that is not gain of function. It is not. It's a dance, and you're dancing around this because you're trying to obscure responsibility for 4 million people dying around the world okay. from a pandemic. And, and let's let send Dr. Fauci. I have to. Well, now you're getting into something. If the point that you are making is that the, the, the grant that was funded as a subaward from EcoHealth to Wuhan created SARS-CoV-2. That's where you are getting. Let me finish. We don't know. Well, we don't wait know a minute. If it didn't I come can, from the lab, but you, all the evidence is pointing that it came from the lab, you, and there will be responsibility for those who funded the right. lab, including yourself. I totally This committee resent, will allow the witness to respond. I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating, Senator, because if you look at the viruses, that were used in the experiments, that were given in the annual reports, that were published in the literature, it is molecularly impossible. No one's saying those it, viruses it is, caused it. It no is, one is molecularly. Those viruses caused the pandemic. What we're alleging is that gain of function research was going on in that lab and NIH funded it. That you is can't not. Get away from it. It meets your definition and you are obfuscating the truth. I'm not obfuscating the truth. Senator you Paul's are the one. Time is expired, but I will allow the witness to. Let finish. me just finish. I want everyone to understand that if you look at those viruses, and that's judged by qualified virologists. Oh, Jesus Christ, with the qualified virologist thing again. There are so many people that are qualified virologists that disagree with you and your team. Like, we've got to, I'm going to say this again. You need third 
party, unaffected, unbiased judges of this situation. Not people that work for the NIH, not people that work for Wuhan, not people that are friends with Fauci, none of those people. Those people are all disqualified from objectivity. Now, objectivity doesn't necessarily completely exist anywhere. If you think that you're truly objective, you're being naive, but we can get as close as possible, right? Relative objectivity. Well, I'd love to even just see some of that. But he, he, Fauci thinks that one, he is science, and two, he just gets to decide who is qualified and who is not from his throne of, of, of science. Like, it just, just makes no fucking sense. And evolutionary biologists. Those viruses are molecularly impossible no one's to result they are. No in SARS-CoV-2. Cause the pandemic. We're saying they are gain-of-function viruses because yeah, they were they're animal not. viruses that became more transmissible in human, and you funded it. And you admit the truth. And you implying, Senator Paul, your time has expired, and I will allow witnesses right. who come before this committee to respond. And, and you are implying that what we did was responsible for the deaths of individual. I totally resent that. And if anybody is lying here, Senator, it is you. Damn, dude, that was intense. I love that. That was super fun to watch. (laughs) But here we are with this. I mean, we're going to see more and more of this, but it's just nice to see Rand Paul being like, listen, I'm I'm like taking, I'm taking a stand here and I'll pick this hill to die on. And the support for Rand Paul, I mean, he's doing a great job in, in increasing his kind of like marketability and his public favor. On both sides of the aisle. This is not, and this is being the the people that are saying that this is a partisan issue from the right or the left. Like people think that they're because they're conservatives, they're on the right side of this issue because they are, you know, they they believe they've been told that they're like the the skeptics or whatever you want to call it, right? They're the they're the the righteous side. This isn't only existing on the right. That's a main that's a mainstream media narrative. Right? There's people across, a ton of people across the political spectrum that want nothing to do with being a conservative or even speaking to conservatives that support what Rand Paul is doing here and support more investigation of the lab leak hypothesis. When you look, when, and this was something I was thinking about the other day, when you look at like the partisan nature of our reality, when you look for someone on the left, for example, and you want to say like libtards and snowflakes and whatever the fuck, like that's absurd, Right. Because when you look at people that are actually on the left, they align more with like crystal ball Kyle Kalinske than they do that, you know, somebody screaming on TikTok about pronouns, right? People that are on the left, they've been made a character of, right? And I don't think that people that are conservatives uh, like being a having a character made out of them either, like as conservative idiots who are homophobic, right? Or racist. Like that's, you're doing the same thing on the other side. So we need to be a little bit more objective about this and look at and, and reach some kind of relative objectivity where we can look at this and say like, hey, this is something that should actually unite people and it's being used to divide people even more. So we should understand who's on the same page, who has, who, who's looking at this through a critical lens and who's trying to move the conversation forward in a productive way. And look at that again, regardless of political affiliation and know that outside of this situation, whatever your politics are, don't matter when you're thinking about just this topic and look at things uh, topic by topic, right? Situation by situation, problem by problem. And, and try and do your best to find common ground there versus making some kind of uh, boogeyman out of somebody on the other side of the political spectrum that you want to hate for some reason because someone told you that you're supposed to. So we got to keep that kind of stuff in mind. And I think this should actually do something to bring us together. Maybe that's wishful thinking. It probably is. But I wanted to say it anyways because I believe it. 
All right, let's finish up the state of things with a little bit of fun here. Top Catholic priest resigns after phone data tracked to Grinder. Thanks to the data streams, uh, the Lord is no, lom- no longer the omnis- omniscient one. I, I fucking hate that word. I can't ever say it. Omniscient one. <laughs> Monsignor Jeffrey Burrell, the top administrator, administrator for the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, resigned from the position this week following claims he regularly loses the queer dating app Grinder and went to gay bars. Oh, no. The allegations were put forward by Catholic news site Pillar, which alleges to have accessed the priest's cell phone data, where it claims to have found evidence of his activity in both virtual and physical gay forums. According to commercially available records of app signal data obtained by the Pillar, a mobile device uh, correlated to Burrell emitted app data signals from the location-based hookups apps grinder on a near daily basis during parts of 2018, 2019, 2020 at both the USCCB office and his USCCC, USCCB owned residence, as well as during USCCB meetings and events in other cities. <laughs> this motherfucker is, is on grinder at Catholic Bishop meetings. <laughs> That's fucking incredible. Data app signals suggest he was at the same time engaged in several uh, in serial and illicit sexual activity. <laughs> okay, so here's something I want to point out about this guy right here. I'm for, first off, I'm on his team. Okay, I think if you're a, a bishop or a pastor, whatever the fuck these things are, right? Like these these people. These uh, leaders of worship or religious, whatever, uh, pulpit standards, so often they're forced into like hiding and shameful activities um, because that's the product of repression. It's the product of repression. We see this all the time. It's one of, my, one of my major criticisms with Christianity in general. And when I say Christianity, I, I lump Catholicism in there as well. The repression leads to things, right? But the funny thing about the Catholic Church in in particular is that they will cover up you fucking kids, right? If you're a pedophile, if you're sexually assaulting children, they will cover it up for you, move you around, bring you into the Vatican, give you a cushy office job because you were fucking kids. But if you suck a grown man's dick, you get fired. That's the Catholic Church stance on homosexuality? Really? That does that make any goddamn sense at all? Any at all? Fuck kids. Cover it up. Get get railed by a grown ass man. Oh, can't have that. That's illicit sexual behavior. That's against the Lord. The Lord would not approve of consensual adult sex. But if it's sex with kids, we can sweep it under the rug. What in the actual fuck is this? What are we doing here? Allowing this to continue. I mean, I know. Okay, so I, I'll tell you a little a personal anecdote of my, some, one of my many stories of fucked up shit that happened while I was a part of the church. Okay? I had this uh, college youth pastor dude, right? It was like, you have like high school youth group and college youth group. This is like my second year of college, right before I was like, peace out Christianity. I'm done. Leave me alone. Um, so a couple of things happened. 
this dude was was he was cool, very charismatic. He was only like five six, so he had like a little bit of little band syndrome, which was you know it is what it is. But he was always kind of like a little little weird, little off, and he was held up within the church and the, the primary church and the youth church as this kind of like a beacon of what was possible if you didn't fuck anyone until you got married. Okay, him and his wife, uh, they waited till they were married. It was this beautiful thing. This like we had we watched their wedding tape at one of the like services. It was like a whole fucking thing. So. Come to find out, come to find out years later after I was like, man, this guy was weird. He was kind of a dick to me a couple times and I was like, you're strange. But he also wanted to leverage me and my friend Michael um, to be leaders within the church, even though we had no like no bearing and that had no bearing in reality. We weren't like the most committed at all, but we just happened to be the most charismatic and attractive. There was a reason they were, they would leverage sexuality to increase kind of like um, allegiance to their organization. Um but then shame sexuality, which all kinds of churches do this. This is like a, a primary driver of Christianity is like give you sexual feelings, shame you for sexual feelings, and then tell them, tell you that they're the answer for your shameful sexual feelings, right? It's a, it's a cycle of bullshit that you can't really escape. So come to find out a couple years later, I'd met up with some friends that also went to that church that were still part of that church actually. And this guy this leader who was a beacon of hope for waiting till you were married to have sex and the beauty and, and, and how Christ would, would bless your union was sexually assaulting girls that were of college age at the fucking youth center. That's what was happening. The beacon of hope was a beacon of sexual assault. That's where we were, that's what went down. That's how it happened. And this is just another example of the hypocrisy and the nonsense that happens within the church. Because when you give people with dicks power and leverage over your goddamn sexuality, you can't be surprised when they want to grab your fucking titties or suck a dick or two. These are not new things. It makes perfect sense. Repression equals... <laughs> repression equals... So being being consumed by desires. And that is usually if you have no experience in how to act those desires out appropriately, you do fucked up shit. It's human fucking nature. And there's no amount of praying that will fix that. It is what it is. So interesting stuff here. Fucking kids in the Catholic Church, a-okay. Stuck in a man dick, not okay. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Fucking weirdos. Fucking weirdos, man. The weirdest shit. And we just let it happen. And they get to be the, the speakers. These are the people that are the spokesperson for Christian morality. Jesus fucking Christ. Jesus fucking Christ. Anyways, now it's time for that part of the show. If I haven't done it already, I'll do it now. That part of the show where I give you... God, I just pissed off so many Christians. I'm sorry, but I'm not. <laughs> where I give you something to think about. Let's get into it right now. so much going on in Cuba and 
other places that has some communist leanings. I've seen a lot of things being thrown around. A lot of things being thrown around, accusations, propaganda, frustrations. But again, I've been, something I've been saying for a while now, I don't think I've actually put it into words on the podcast in this, in this form, is how there's a lot of things going on, right? So the, the federal government is made up mostly, outside of a handful of people, Made up of uh, neoliberals, neoconservatives, pro-business, um, pro-world trade. I don't give a fuck. Like globalization is a, is a is a priority on both sides of the aisle, and don't kid yourself into thinking it's not. Okay, Donald Trump may have uh, railed against it in rhetoric, but not in action. So we get the situation here where it says, okay, like what what would be a better solution? And I think I think that there really is an argument to be made that there is healthy healthy partisan situations, right? Where the partisanship is productive, where the disagreements are productive. We don't have those now, right? The things that, that our federal government that both parties agree on are the worst fucking things, right? Out, outstanding, ridiculous pharmaceutical costs, right? Wars that keep on going and going, military occupations all over the world. These are things that, that, that our elected officials agree on. I have things they disagree on, Second Amendment, abortion, uh, social issues. That's why everything has become, we've been, we've been conned into believing that like, the, the culture war fucking matters. And it does to some extent, but not nearly as much as we've been told it does. And not nearly as much, it doesn't deserve as much attention as it gets. Right? So I thought, well, what would be a better situation? Where's some healthy divisiveness within the federal government? How could that work? And I fully believe this, and I actually want you to think about this. What if... Instead of neocons and neolibs making up the majority of our federal government, what if it was socialists and libertarians? They are very opposed in what they what what there's their solutions to the problems, right? They're opposed in the solutions to the problems. But one thing that socialists and libertarians agree on, and if you ever watch Ron Paul and Bernie Sanders have a conversation, you get this. One thing they agree on is what the problems are. So I think, and, and with the, the term socialist, right, has been has been kind of bastardized uh, by the by the modern right. Like any kind of like universal healthcare program is considered a socialist, even though it has very little to do with the worker seizing the means of production, which is what socialism is. So we're, I'm, what I, when I say socialist here, I mean what the common nomenclature for socialist means today, which could mean literally if you're a conservative, like like anything is socialist that you just don't like. Like that's fucking it's it's moronic, but it is what it is. Um, but if we had people who were kind of big government, um, high-spending, utopian on the left, and people that were small government utopians on the right, you see what I'm saying? You get where I'm going? Then maybe their compromises, the compromises they would be forced to make, right? the common ground they would be forced to find to pass legislation, would be productive for working people. Because in rhetoric and in action, I believe socialists and libertarians both have the best intentions when it comes to the real people of this country. 
And they agree on what the problems are. Now, I think sometimes people that are on the left have the better solutions, and sometimes I think the people on the right have the better solutions. That's what makes me politically homeless. But I think if you have a situation where they're so opposed on so many things that it creates a, 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 an incentive to find common ground, that common ground can be very productive, very productive. And then we have a say so and who is who is who is brought in. But when we have this the two the, the way the two party system is set up, and not that the two party system is necessarily the worst thing in the world, right? It does create a winner, a clear winner and a clear loser, whereas a third party wouldn't do that. But the primary system within that is incredibly problematic because it really gives you a, a series of, of of shitty fucking options, and then we go from there. And thirty percent of elections are decided in the primary, not in the actual general election. So November doesn't fucking matter for many many elections. So we get the situation here. So I think, what if, and it's something to think about. What if we were actually represented? by more socialists and more libertarians, actual libertarians, not libertarians of rhetoric and, and socialists that are really pretty much like center left on the global stage, like American socialists, which really rely on capitalism to run whatever programs they want to run, which makes the most sense when you're, when you're, when you're pitching your socialist ideas, but you need a capitalist engine to run those ideas. Well, that's actually can, that, that can make sense. Right now, if you're trying to burn down capitalism and burn down the system, that doesn't make a ton of sense. But if you are, if you're, if you're leveraging an already existing, highly functional engine, and you have the libertarians to only make that engine run better, but you have the quote unquote socialists to put in common sense regulation when it comes to pollution, um, that is very pro union in the private sector, uh, fighting for workers' rights, then you have a very robust series of disagreements, a very ro a robust and productive divisiveness that doesn't necessarily divide the American people, but it keeps our government divided in a productive way. That's my utopian idea, but really, it's just something to think about. Guys, y'all are awesome. I love you. Glad you're here. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure to leave a review on the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you listen there, join the Patreon if you can. Support independent content. We're fighting an uphill battle every day. And I'm glad to have you on my side. Love you guys. Keep your head on straight. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>